This is Desmond King, and you are listening to the Chargers Podcast Network. What's up, guys? Chris Avery with you on a Week 8 edition of Chargers Weekly, right here on the new Chargers Podcast Network. Coming up, a Beat Writers Roundtable. We recap the week and look ahead to Sunday versus the Bears with the LA Times' Jeff Miller, Southern California News Group's Gilbert Manzano, and The Athletic's Daniel Popper. We'll also get this week's opposing view from Rich Campbell of the Chicago Tribune. But first, radio analyst Daniel Jeremiah previews Chargers-Bears. All right, guys, welcome back. Here with Daniel Jeremiah as the Chargers try to get back in the win column up in Chicago against the Bears. DJ, we talked about the game last week. Yep. Let's move forward. How do you get a win in Chicago? We'll start with that. Well, I think you're, you're looking at a Chicago team that has not been able to run the ball. And this Chargers team, when they can stop the run, have been pretty good defensively. So I think you've got to continue with that as your focus and put the ball in, in Mitchell Trubisky's hands and, and you take your chances that way. You know, look, last week we saw um, a lot of zone coverage, a lot of uh, really softer coverage in, uh, against Tannehill. And Tannehill was able to find some things in the middle of the field. So I think you see him tighten that up a little bit. Um, really challenge this group. You know, I think you can get aggressive and, and go after Trubisky. They've they've struggled some picking up twists and games up front as well. So I'd look for a real you know aggressive game plan. They, I think what was their split last week? I think they threw it fifty four times and ran it seven times. Yeah, so this, seven for seventeen. Exactly. So you, just, you you eliminate that run game, make them one dimensional. I think you you feel good about it. Then you flip it over to the other side and. You can't let number 52 beat you. And when you go back and watch the tape of the Bears defense, got a chance to do that throughout this week. Um, We're going to do it on their XO segment that we're doing today for video for Chargers.com, which is do not block him with tight ends. It's not going to end well. Uh, (laughs) You saw it last week. Taron Armstead did a beautiful job against him with the Saints. But um, you look at a lot of his production, a lot of his pressures, it's it's off tight ends. And you just can't put those guys in that situation. So what do you do? If if you're Sam Tevy, you got to give Sam a little help. No question. Don't, don't have a tight end don't or a running back alone. one-on-one no. with 52. No question. They're, and they're, look, Armstead's one of those tackles where you can leave him alone. Um, he's an elite, elite player. I think this Charger tackle group, it's young, it's developing, and I think you, um, you know, you're you going to give them some help. My, my thing is you're going to have a couple snaps. That's the way it works. You're going to have a couple plays where you're going to have to leave Tevy alone, and he's going to have to do it one-on-one. What you can't do is you can't leave a tight end one-on-one. That's mm-hmm. uh, that's not going to end well. Another guy we're going to talk about is, is Austin Eckler. Oh, man. Entering week eight. He's tied for third in the NFL in receptions with DeAndre Hopkins. He has more touchdowns than DeAndre Hopkins. Yeah. He is a legit dual-threat weapon. We saw it, a comeback that fell short, but Austin was remarkable in that fourth quarter. So I had this conversation with somebody in the league the other day about Austin Eckler. After that game, I haven't watched that game, and now seen Austin up close for two years. I made this statement, and it kind of caught him off guard, and then um, I just asked him to see if he'd give me an example. I, I said, look, there are not 10 running backs in the National Football League that can do all of the things Austin Eckler can do. Wow. It's just a fact. I, I just, there's no, when you watch him split out and watch him run stutter goes, you watch him run skinny posts, um, we've seen him run every kind of route, all those angle routes out of the backfield, all the stuff he does there. Then you look what he does on the perimeter run game. You look what he does after contact, the ability to make people miss in space. Um, now, look, am I saying he's a you know he's one of the five best running backs in the NFL? I'm not saying that. I'm just saying there's not ten guys in the league that can do all the different things he can do, and that's what makes him special. Just creating mismatches. I think that touchdown, oh. was it Wesley Woodyard was on him? So Wesley Woodyard, they split out Wesley Woodyard on him twice. He torched him both times. So then from that point on, there was actually a play in the game where Wesley Woodyard walks out with him, and you see Kenny Vaccaro go over like a parent to a child and grab him by the back of the neck and say, no, 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 no. Or no more linebackers on us. <laughs> can't do that anymore. Pull them off, and, uh, and Kenny Vaccaro checked him the rest of the day. Unbelievable. So this Chargers team, again, got to get in the win column. I think the running game, it's kind of the elephant in the room. Last three games just have not Nothing, been able yeah. to get it going. Less than 40 yards rushing as a team. How do you get Melvin Gordon going? I think it's a combination. Of, obviously, you don't have Russell out there. You don't have Pouncey out there. Yeah. Uh, but – it, somehow, some way, you got to get some yards on the ground. Yeah, I wish I had an answer for you. You know, I do. They're not getting any push when you watch the tape. The line of scrimmage is 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 moving backward. It's not moving forward, and that's something that um, you know that can come down to. Well, do you have the guys? You have the horses. You're missing so many players, but they've got to find a way. You've got to find a way to get some type of movement at the line of scrimmage, and that just hasn't happened. 
Joey Bosa and Khalil Mack on the same field Sunday. What'd you make of Joey's performance in the second half? He's ridiculous. Ridiculous. I mean, he's just so good. And um, how about the bully push on Tannehill? Uh, I know. He's just. Uh, and then look, he he can beat you in a variety of ways. And even on reps where you would say he lost, one of the, one of the plays. Taylor wanted a nice shot, pushed him right up the field. Mm-hmm. But Joey's so instinctive, he sees that as his peripheral that the quarterback's climbing, he redirects, makes a big play. So um, he just his his effort. I'm never, I never cease to be amazed at the number of plays he makes across the field and then in pursuit as a, somebody that's you know labeled as a pass rusher. The effort against the run and the range that he has is off the charts. When you watch this defense, especially over the last couple of weeks, is there anybody that stood out to you that? We're not talking about as perennial Pro Bowl player, maybe a young guy or somebody that you think is, is kind of popped. Well, we didn't get to see him last week, but Justin Jones has played well yeah. You know, this year. He's had a good year. And, um, you know, I look, I know we had a big missed tackle last week, but Drew Tranquil is putting himself in positions to make plays. Now, you can't have the miss that he had. But just in terms of watching him move around and the athleticism that he uh, he possesses, uh, that's that's easy to notice. And then, look, Chenna has found a way to make big plays. When he's out there for, you know, he gets a – um, a, a good number of snaps, you're going to see one or two impact plays from him. You saw with the force fumble this last week, so he has a knack for that. When you go through a season, every team has adversity. Chargers 2-5 and five right now. When you spend time with you know, the Ravens, the Browns, the Eagles, how do you turn it around? How, how do you get guys continuing to believe that you're close? Because I tell you what, had they won that game, that could have been a, a oh, season-shifting yeah. springboard for the rest of the season. Yeah, that's what it felt like. It really did. Um you kind of feel the air come out of the balloon in just a bizarre way to lose a football game at a pivotal point in the season. But uh, how do you get it turned around? You don't You don't look at the win-loss record. You don't look at your next five opponents. You look at one opponent, one Sunday, the Chicago Bears. We have to get this win and, and focus and strain to finish on every single rep um, to do whatever you got to do to get out of that game with a win because you can't look beyond that. And once you get that first one, then you know all of a sudden that monkey's off your back and that things loosen up a little bit. Maybe you can get it on a little run, but it's got to start uh, this uh, this Sunday in Chicago. I think offensively, when you look at Hunter Henry, we, we talked oh. about him before he came back. He looks like he hasn't missed a beat and, and really has become a uh, kind of the lifeblood of the offense last two weeks. Well, Hunter Henry's going to make a lot of money uh, next year. You know, I know he's had the injury bug, but when healthy, he's as good. 24 years old. He, when, he, when he's healthy out there, you see the impact he has. We saw it back-to-back weeks and his ability to work in the middle of the field. We're seeing what he can do after the catch, which has really jumped out to me. And he's, a, you know, he's an asset in the run game. So, um, yeah, he makes a big difference for this offense. And, um, you know, it's it's hard to explain that game I thought was Phillip Rivers' best game he played the entire season. Mm. And you don't come out of there with the win. Hunter played great. Austin Eckler, some individual performances that were outstanding. Um, but you got to put the whole thing together. And, and I think it goes back to what you were saying earlier. you got to run the ball. you got you got to run the ball. O- open things up a little bit. No because question. you have the weapon. I mean, when you have Keenan Allen and Mike Williams, you got a jump ball guy. you got one of the best route runners of yeah. the game. you got Hunter Henry. you got Austin Eckler out. you got uh, Melvin in the backfield. That should be a recipe for an explosive offense that wins games consistently. Yeah, yeah. and that's and the other thing too is just finding some more explosive plays. Obviously, Austin delivered that down the field, um, but the vertical have vertical passing game from the wide receivers has been missing a little bit this year. Yeah. Last thing, Bears missed Trubisky. You mentioned forty or fifty-four attempts, right? Yeah, fifty-four attempts. Yeah. What do you do to? make them one-dimensional. It, it, obviously, they've had trouble running the football, too, with, with yeah. Cohen and Montgomery, which is kind of surprising. I thought they'd be able to run the football a little bit more. Um, well, offensive linemen disappointing, to be yeah. honest with you. Is yeah. it, do you think it starts with the O-line there? Well, and the other thing is they they do so much RPO, you know, with run-pass option, and I thought Trubisky's had some bad reads where he's pulled the ball out and tried to throw the ball. He took a sack uh, last week against the Saints where should have given the ball, and, uh, you know, they're blocking for a run play. He puts it in the belly, pulls it out. Not only does he pull it out, he doesn't throw the football, ends up taking a sack. Um, so we think about decision-making with quarterbacks. Um, we think about the you know the passing game down the field, protections. RPO is a decision that you have to make on that play, and his decision-making has not been great. I was going to say, the offense, the biggest difference between that Bears offense last year and this year is what in your eyes? Well, they're not playing as good up front. Uh, that's, that's irrefutable. They're not blocking as well. And then I think some of that, you know, they lived off RPOs last year. That, that was their bread and butter, and it's just been taken away. All right, see if the Chargers can get to, to three and five on the year against the Bears. DJ, appreciate it, man. No problem. All right, to get this week's opposing view presented by Mercury Insurance, we bring in Rich Campbell of the Chicago Tribune. 
And Rich, thanks so much for joining us, man. The Bears and Chargers, both with tough week sevens. What's the mood in Chicago after the loss to the Saints last Sunday? I would assume it's very similar to what it is out your way right now. It is one of, of deep introspection inside the locker room and inside team headquarters here at Hallis Hall. Uh, in the city, I would describe it uh, a little more urgent. I would probably even throw panic in there, uh, maybe resignation. I mean, both of these teams coming off 12 and four seasons uh, with, you know, at 500 on the Bears side, sub 500 on the Chargers side. And so it's not where either team expected to be. Bears are certainly that way. And it's because in particular in Chicago, the offense, the offense is one of the, the worst in the league, no matter what statistical category you're looking at. And it starts with quarterback play. Everything the Bears have done to build their organization around Mitch Trubisky is, is sort of trying to, you know, come and, and produce results this season. And it just has not happened. I mean, Mitch is not played in a way that's going the right direction. And so a lot of hand-wringing in the city, a lot of focused determination inside the, the you know, coaches' offices and, and locker rooms to try to figure out a way to get the offense going. Mitch Trubisky with 54 pass attempts last week, if I'm not mistaken. And I think one of the similarities between these two teams, Rich, is they've both struggled to run the football. Just 17 yards rushing for Chicago last week. What's the issue? Is it just a collective effort of skill position players, quarterback, offensive line, or can you point to a specific thing? Yeah, it's a lot. It's, it's uh, multifaceted. And you're right, 54 pass attempts. There were seven rushing attempts for the Bears last week. The Bears have been playing football for 100 years. They have never had fewer rushing attempts in a game than they did last Sunday against the Saints. Seven attempts for 17 yards. And Matt Nagy on Monday said, this is a direct quote, I'm not an idiot. I know we need to run the ball more. And I think Chicago's collective response to that is, prove it, coach, because in week one, they also abandoned the run against the Packers. And Nagy did it again against the Saints. They had five first-half runs in a game that was a two-point game at halftime. So the issue for Nagy is the lack of production. They averaged one yard per rush in the first half. And his approach, you can do the math, right? All right, we're going to move the ball better passing. We're going to throw. The question is, as it relates to play selection and play calling, is how long do you stick with it? And we actually just got off the phone here uh, as we record this on uh, Wednesday afternoon uh, with Anthony Lynn, talking to him about some of the same issues. And he's got such a great run background. And and his philosophy is you've got to have the attempts, simply the volume to try to wear down a defense, to try to eventually get a running play that will hit, right? And Nagy differs in that philosophy. And so it'll be really interesting to see how – the, the play selection plays out Sunday. It's going to be a huge focus here in Chicago because in Nagy's defense, the blocking has been poor. Too many breakdowns by too many players, assignment standpoint and an execution standpoint that has undermined his trust in the running game. And the problem when you stop running the ball is you're putting the ball in the hands of a quarterback who hasn't proven he has command of the offense. So he's really between a rock and a hard place, and that's why they're stuck offensively. Yeah, the Chargers, the last three games, they've had fewer than 40 rushing yards in each of the last three games, and that's with Melvin Gordon back. But they do have Phillip Rivers, who can manufacture offense and, and has a lot of weapons on the outside. And, Rich, I, I just go back to last year and how creative Matt Nagy was and, and just the points that they put up on a weekly basis. They were in the 20s, 30s, sometimes even 40s. Uh, what's the biggest difference? Well, it's a combination of a few things. Number one, the reason they were in the 40s on occasion last year, for example, they beat the Bills, I believe, with 41 points. Mm -hmm. The defense was getting in the end zone. There's six defensive touchdowns a year ago. They only have one so far this year. Now, if you're planning a season, defensive touchdowns come and they're nice to get, but they're not necessarily something that you could count on and repeat every week. The repeatable side of that offensively has struggled. They finished last season just from an offensive standpoint in eight of their uh, excuse me nine of their 17 games a year ago including the wild card round the offense failed to score more than 20 points so this season all of the the expectations surrounded Mitch and his continuity in the scheme being with Matt Nagy through the offseason through 
uh, off-season practices, training camp with the same receiver group he had a year ago. That the chemistry should be better, that the operation should be cleaner. But we have seen a regression. I mean, I, I don't think there's any other way to describe it than a regression. And to me, what that indicates, and, and this is, is my opinion, and I think it's, this is evident from looking at Trubisky's body of work, is that he's not playing with clear thought processes, a clear mind when he's on the field. You can see it in the way his footwork breaks down at times, and that undermines a ton of what they're trying to do down the field. His yards per attempt, his yards per completion are, are horrible. I mean, they're five yards and under. And so it's not a downfield passing game. It's still short now. He is protecting the ball, you know, fine, but there's just no danger in the passing game. And so that's why they're so limited. The points are such a premium. They've started slowly in so many games, and it's been a real struggle every yard they've had to get. It's really a head scratcher because, you know, they also had a game where they scored 48 points last year and Trubisky had six oh, touchdowns. That's right. And he was efficient. That's yeah. right. Just the, the, the efficiency 19 of 23, six touchdowns. And it's like, where's that guy, especially in, in year three? So, you know, and that's why the NFL is just, it's remarkable in injuries and it's just one play can really decide how a season goes. And you look at the, the Bears' defense, you lose Akeem Hicks. How much has that affected the defense, Rich? It's huge. I mean, I would put Akeem Hicks in the top four defensive tackles or, or interior type linemen in the NFL. He is that strong, powerful, athletic. He can move a man against his will. Anytime he wants to. I mean, he is that good. And so when you take that presence out of the middle of the run defense, not only are you weakening the front, making it more susceptible to double teams and defenders being displaced out of the line of scrimmage, well, now your linebackers are susceptible as well to offensive linemen climbing to the second level. It's exactly what we've seen. Now, Hicks has missed all but eight snaps of the last three games. He's quite possibly out for the year, but he's on injured reserve right now with a, a gruesome elbow injury. Uh, but in the three games that they played without him, I'll, I'll include the Raiders game in that. The Raiders game in London and last week against the Saints, the D-line did not hold up well. The backups just aren't the same type of presence. They don't anchor against blocks the same way. They don't occupy blockers the same way. Against the Vikings in week four, when Hicks missed the game and, and they knew he would leading up to it, it wasn't like he got hurt in the game and, and left. They did an outstanding job, these backups, against the Dalvin Cook, who was leading the NFL in rushing at the time, they were occupying blockers. They were getting penetration. The linebackers were clean. And the Bears look at that Vikings game and say, we've got to get back to that. But a problem with holding up in the trenches like that is that the defense is on the field too much because they're not playing complementary football. The offense had six drives, a chunk of six consecutive drives against the Saints. They gained a total of 20 yards mm-hmm. on six drives. So The offense has to help the defense in this regard. Keep those guys up front fresh and so they can play better, help the linebackers, help the run defense, and uh, account for Akeem Hicks' absence. I just did an X's and O's segment with Daniel Jeremiah, Rich, and we looked at Khalil Mack. And we looked at two plays, and one was against the Broncos with Noah Fant trying to block him one-on-one. Yeah, that's a a bad matchup for the Broncos there. It's just a, a bad it's bad all around. And then yeah. the, the Redskins trying to block Mac with Vernon Davis in motion. It, it was just like, basically, DJ said, this is a PSA. Don't block Khalil Mack with a tight end. That's it. Just don't do it. How, how much of a game wrecker is he on any given Sunday? You know, he could just show up and completely wreck a game. Yeah. So to, to put that in context, that Denver game you're talking about, that was week two. And then the Redskins tried that on Monday Night Football in week three. Both of them ended up in sacks. I mean, disastrous play design and scheme for those two teams. Okay, the Vikings were week four, and Mack was an absolute freight train against them. He drew a holding penalty and sacked the quarterback on a play on which he was double teamed. So it just shows you that even if you devote bodies to him, he can wreck your game. But since that Vikings game where Mac really, you know, he forced a fumble, he had sack, and, and he was running, you know, the Vikings ended up quadruple teaming him on one play in that game. Ever since then, the Raiders, so they go to London and play the Raiders. Well, you know, John Gruden is not about to let Khalil Mack 
you know, the guy he traded away embarrassed his team. Oh, no chance. No chance. Yeah. And so, so the Raiders did a great job devoting bodies to Mac. Uh, you know, it was double teamed on something like 70% of the pass rushes. And they did it with a lot of combinations. Sometimes it was a tackle guard. Sometimes it was a tight end and a tackle. Sometimes it was a tackle and a running back. They never just left a tight end alone on him. You can't do that. And the Saints duplicated that approach last Sunday. And Mack has had two quiet games in a row. The Bears have lost two in a row. And so this is a problem that Khalil is always going to have to face. He is the player that keeps the opposing offensive coordinator up at night. He's the one they scheme for. And so, yes, to answer your question, Khalil Mack absolutely can wreck a game. But teams can contain him with personnel. And then, of course, it becomes up to other players in the pass rush to make an impact against one-on-one blocks. Leonard Floyd would be the number one example. He's the ninth overall draft pick from 2006. Had a very encouraging start to the season, two sacks in the opener, and from a sack standpoint, has been very quiet since then. Akeem Hicks is a pass rusher. It is incredible collapsing the pocket from the inside. Well, the Bears don't have that presence anymore. So they need Khalil Mack to be a star, and they need other guys to play well around him to disrupt what the other team has going on. Teddy Bridgewater for the Saints last Sunday, way too comfortable uh, you know, in the pocket, allowing routes to develop down the field and putting – the secondary uh, under stress because they had to cover for so long. The pass rush has got to get better. Rich, just a couple more for you. What are the Bears saying about the Chargers coming to town? Phillip Rivers, you always got a chance with Phillip. And then you look at the other side, the Chargers have a a pass rusher of their own in in Joey Bosa, who was uh, a madman in the second half of that game against the Titans. So uh, some some impact plays. Chargers obviously struggling right now, but but they have uh, some skill position players on offense and obviously some some playmakers on the defensive side as well. Yeah, it's one of those interconference games where the teams play every four years, and so there's not that familiarity. Yeah, and so you know you combine that with the fact that the Bears have a lot of uh, internal evaluating to do on a two-game losing streak. And it's interesting that you just from, you know, from our standpoint, certainly from their standpoint, but, you know, even from an observer standpoint, you can't forget the matchup, what goes on here. And so, yeah, the, the Bears, as you think about, first of all, just, you know, going back to the beginning of this conversation, the tone of, of where these two teams are. Yes, the Bears are wounded, but I think there's a recognition here that the Chargers are wounded. I mean, both physically and from a, a psyche standpoint, that if you are hosting this game, you better win at home. I mean, the Bears are a desperate team to win. So you have to take advantage of that, a, a Chargers team that lost in a painful fashion a, a week ago. Then you obviously start with the utmost respect for Phillip Rivers. You know, regardless of how the, the offense is going so far, there is always going to be <laughs> respect for the passing game and, and the way Rivers is able to create, throw guys open, um, you know, understanding that their defense is banged up a little bit. Uh, you, you know, the Bears will be very focused on their own approach offensively. You know, not necessarily as much about Bosa, although, of course, they will be aware of him. Um, and, and, you know, maybe let's say the, the safety weakness is on the Charger side because of injuries have piled up. They are going to be looking for their own game in terms of timing, rhythm, and command, starting with the quarterback position. And so as you look at that Chargers defense, it's a matter of taking advantage of some of the things other teams have done taking advantage of some of the injuries and the, the depth chart issues that the Chargers have. And if they do that, then I think a lot of people around here uh, will be much happier come Monday morning than they were this past week. Rich, awesome insight, man. Final thing for you, who's a player, maybe two players, some under-the-radar guys from the Bears that Chargers fans may not know about that you think could possibly impact this game? Yeah, I would start with Allen Robinson, and, and you would probably have to tell me what type of profile Allen Robinson, their wide receiver, has out there. Because, you know, Allen is not in that group of premier, you know, national star receivers like a, you know, Julio Jones, sure. uh, for example. Um, and so, you know, th- that is partly because Robinson played in Jacksonville, where, you know, they didn't have a lot of team success. Um, and then came to the Bears and was injured in, I believe it was 2017, you know, towards ACL, got back last year. Well, now he's the MVP of this team. He is, or at least offensively, and that's not even close. I mean, he is on pace for 1,230 yards uh, receiving and, you know, 80 catches and six touchdowns. I mean, he is able to get open, 
all the time. He is a terrific route runner, and he has the trust. He's basically the only option in the passing game that has the trust of Mitch Trubisky right now. And so anytime Mitch drops back as an as a observer, we're expecting the ball to go to number 12. Yeah. So that, that would, yeah, that would be the first one. Uh, if I was saying defensively, it's a, it's a player who uh, Chargers fans will be familiar with. It's Danny Trevathan, the inside linebacker, who is not, you know, I would not include him with, you know, as part of the young, talented nucleus of the defense. I mean, there are other players there that I think would qualify more. Mac, Eddie Jackson, um, Kyle Fuller, even at cornerback, you know, they have some pro bowlers defensively. Danny is not one of them, but Danny's in his contract year and he has showed up this year ready to get paid. I mean, he is flying around. He's a heartbeat type of player. The, the Bears have made an emphasis internally and publicly this week about leadership. And Trevathan is one of those guys, a type of heartbeat guy. And you see it in his play. He's, he takes some of the, the struggles that the defense uh, has had personally. And so I would look for, for Allen Robinson to impact the game offensively, Danny Trevathan to do the same from the inside linebacker spot. And if, if they get you know performance from those types of players, guys who, who are counted on to perform and, and expected to perform every week, they'll you know be happy with at least being in the game uh, when it comes down to about 3 o'clock here on Sunday afternoon. This was awesome. If you want to know about the Bears, follow Rich Campbell, at Rich underscore Campbell on Twitter. Rich, I can't thank you enough for your time, man. I look forward to seeing you at Soldier Field. My pleasure, Chris. And if you need any uh, restaurant recommendations, you need to be to point you towards some Italian beef. Or oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Pizza, I'll be happy to hook you up. Uh, be, we may be talking offline about that. I appreciate it, Rich. You got it, Chris. All right, guys, we know you love the Chargers, but you also probably love saving money, too. And Mercury Insurance can help you with that because Chargers fans save an average of $769 with Mercury. That'll get you great seats for the next game and jerseys for the whole family, too. So what are you waiting for? Get a quote at mercuryinsurance.com to see how much you could save. It only takes a few minutes to switch, and it could save you a lot of money. Don't wait. Get a quote today at mercuryinsurance.com. Savings info based on 2019 California Department of Insurance Rate Comparison Profile 38A. Individual savings may vary. Also, don't miss a minute of the action with the official Los Angeles Chargers app. Follow real-time stats, watch your favorite Bolts programming, and live local Chargers games all season long. Download today at chargers.com slash app. Geographic and device restrictions apply. Local and primetime games only. Data charges may apply. All right, we got the fellas back two weeks in a row. Our beat writers roundtable, Daniel Popper, Gil Manzano, Jeff Miller. Gentlemen, let's start with Nashville off the field. Did we have a good time? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Gil and I hit up Broadway, yeah, which was very fun. And then we got to Hattie B's with five minutes remaining before it closed. So I heard, we were the last people to order food. So I heard mm. Hattie B's obviously very good, yes. but... Uber drivers were telling me princes. Okay, here I have a list. I actually compiled a list from Uber drivers. Uh, my Uber driver said that princes was his third favorite. He okay, said, power rank. So power rank. I have pow- oh, oh, everything. <laughs> my my notes pad is just power rankings of various random things. Um, Pepper fire number one, four hundred degrees number two. He said princes was third, but that's just because it's really hot. It's like the hottest thing you can eat. Where was uh, Harry bees in this ranking? He said sixth. Whoa. So why does why do everybody? Yeah. Why did Why didn't you guys go to one of the uh, other touts? Oh, uh, because they're they're not near downtown. Oh, like right. we, wa- we walked we walked from Broadway. Okay. Far. Gil well, was a little bit worried. Yeah. I can understand that. <laughs> There's some sketchy areas. Yeah, <laughs> one thing that's kind of popular in Nashville, which I thought was extinct, was uh these big Cadillac cars with big spinner rims and. Well, they weren't Cadillac. They were actually like like infinity SUV? yeah. like SUVs, but with like 37 inch yeah. rim spinners. spinners. You know what? You know what's not extinct? Hmm. Inventive ways to have bachelorette parties. Yeah, there was oh. a fire truck on Broadway. It looked like a real fire truck. It's just some guy driving it in the back. It's it's just parties. Like there are yeah, they're yeah. like open Nationals, limo party. Yeah, I mean, I it that, was yeah. Broadway was was party wild. bus for everything. <laughs> it was a party bus also, for everything. Also not extinct. And here's your segue: the Chargers finding really awful ways to lose football games. <laughs> that is a segue. Wow, <laughs> oh it was that was a uh, a very difficult way to lose a football. I've game. never seen anything like that in my life. That's the that is the worst way to lose I think I've ever seen. I've been watching football for. A long time. Uh, a I mean, fur- not a long time compared to Jeff. As, he, as, yeah, as he's looking at me, he says, yeah. not a long time. Uh, a, furious, a furious comeback really led by Austin Eckler. Yeah. Austin Eckler was fantastic through the air. Uh, Hunter had another second straight great game. Phillip played well. You get down to the one-yard line, and uh, it was just – I was down – it was like a gamut of emotions. 
you think you win it twice, twice. Then you have a, a pass interference. You have a, a false start. So much happened in the last two minutes. I think you're just kind of shell shocked after just wondering how'd you lose it. Yeah, I mean, I, I've never seen a game end like that. Just in terms of the two touchdowns ruled on the field as touchdowns going to review, and then you had a third review because initially they ruled they ruled Melvin Gordon down by contact, so that went to review too. So it was this weird situation where like everyone in the field's like Chargers win, review, no they didn't. Chargers win. Review, no, they didn't. Chargers are going to have a shot to either kick a field goal or tie the game. Review, no, not exactly. Game is actually over. So, like, the range of emotions is, is insane. And you saw it in the locker room after the game. You saw it with Anthony just, like, how devastated they were because they did. They felt like they did everything they needed to do to win a football game. They should have won the football game. And it was a huge game in terms of the difference between 2-5 and five and 3-4 and four and your chances to make the playoffs. And and that made it much worse for this team. It shouldn't even get that far when you have Austin Eckler who looked like he crossed the, 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 you know, the goal line. A, I still think yeah. that is a touchdown. Lance is a touchdown. Mm-hmm. Rivers is a touchdown. Pretty much everybody in the locker room felt that was a touchdown. Hunter Henry said they won that game twice. But if Austin Eckler crosses that you know, that end zone, you don't have that chaos for the last 44 seconds. But it, it got that far, and it was, a, I guess, a story to kind of remember and a bad one for the Chargers. What you make of it, Jeff? Um, at my age, that's the fifth time I've seen a game end just like that. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, no, it was crazy. What I thought was weird was, I don't know if you guys, uh, the locker room, they weren't as mad as I thought. I thought the locker room was going to be a really angry locker room, and Anthony was certainly animated. But a lot of the players, it, they were almost disbelieving. And I don't know, I hate to say this, but it, it almost felt like maybe they're just kind of resigned to be a, this is where, this is our fate. This is what we are right now. We got a bunch of guys hurt, and we're really struggling. And these crazy things are happening to us, happening to us. And I don't know. Did you guys well, get a sense in there? So that it, there it, was it, one player who was absolutely devastated, yeah, and destroyed, yeah. and that was Melvin Gordon. And I, mean, I that, think I think exactly. the feeling was we all did enough to win the game. And like ninety nine times out of hundred, our Pro Bowl running back who scored twenty eight rushing touchdowns over the last two seasons is going to score that touchdown. That's and right. it's like, what yeah. else? What else are we supposed to do? Like you're going to have mistakes in the secondary because of the injuries and the young guys in there. So that touchdown pass to Sharp is like, okay, that's going to happen. They moved the ball. Austin Eckler was a threat in the passing game and, you know, exploiting mismatches. Like, they did everything they needed to do. They moved the ball. They played solid defense. They stopped Derrick Henry for the most part. Uh, he only had two rushes over, over – or three rushes over six yards the whole game. I mean, they felt like they did everything they needed to do to win. So I felt like that was sort of the sentiment. Like, you yeah. know, ultimately, like, you don't want to say it falls on one player, but it, it did. It and did. to be fair, I don't want to – you know, Melvin was right there talking to the media. These guys know, they know what he's going through. So they didn't want to, I'm sure none of them wanted to go crazy. And, That's right. And then, then he feels even worse because they yeah, all know how bad really he felt. So I'm really sure they're point. trying to be like, hey, you know, just kind of play it off a little bit. And 100%. Just kind of be cool about it, knowing that he, what he was going through. But he certainly was, he was devastated. We yeah. saw it. You could see his, his eyes were red. He obviously was crying on the yeah. field. I mean, it, it was, a, and he, I'm, part of the problem was there's so many layers to what he was going through, given what he the holdout and all that stuff and trying to prove he's still the guy he knows his contract all this stuff's on him and then to have that happen we had a guy who prides himself on not fumbling and getting in the end zone and then you know as, as anthony said the other day he's built for that right. at that moment and then for that to all go wrong he was going through a, a ton yeah. of, of terrible things and so the guys around him understood that and didn't want to uh, you know make it even right. worse and pile on they can feel right. even even lower than he already felt and these guys a lot of them have been through a lot of good times together, right? So in wins and losses, they have done a good job of sticking together as a group. And and I think to your point, you know, trying to pick Melvin up when he's down, you know, there's always going to be a group of players who probably feel like, hey, if I would have made that one play or those two plays, it could have changed the course of the game. Uh, that was a difficult one because that's a type of game. It's an AFC game. It's a, it's a game where you said, you know, two and five, Huge Three difference. and four, it's a big difference, especially because you haven't played any AFC West games except for one. You got five AFC West games coming up. Including two against the Chiefs. Two against the Chiefs. Um, and now you're facing a team, you look in the mirror, this was a 12-4 and four team last year in the Chicago Bears. Uh, they're having trouble rushing to football. Just talking to Rich Campbell from the Chicago Tribune, he goes, in the 100 years of existence, the Chicago Bears ran the ball the fewest times they've ever ran it. Last Sunday, wow. seven for seventeen. Yeah, they can't. I mean, it's 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 a mirror image, like you said. I mean, they they have been the two worst rushing teams in football over the last three weeks. The Chargers have been 
even worse. I mean, you're talking about at this point, they're probably averaging, I mean, they had, they're going to last week averaging 2.08 over the last two weeks. And now it's probably like two, one, two, two, something like that. Maybe. I mean, it's been the, less the, than 40 the last three weeks. And the bears are, you know, around two, four, a, a rush, which is just abysmal. I mean, neither team can get the running game going. Daniel Jeremiah, who's just on, talked about Mitch Trubisky and some of the reads that they, they live and die off these RPOs. And they're just either he's not reading it correctly or just, I don't want to say the league is like caught up, but when you have a year of tape on an offense and, and, a, and a quarterback in Mitchell Trubisky, I was just looking at some of his stats last year. I mean, he had a 19 for 26, six touchdown game against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Yeah. So it's not like, I mean, he was. Saw him in Orlando last year, so it's not like he didn't play well last year. He's just he's just struggling, especially coming off an injury. Yeah, he has his moments, but it just like you said, he came off an injury, and this year or this week or this past week, he couldn't figure it out. But that's what you get with Trubisky, and now you're hearing things that maybe they shouldn't have drafted him. You should have drafted uh, Deshaun Watson or Patrick Mahomes, but like you mentioned, he's shown spurts of that six touchdown game, uh, and it's what year three, I think, for him. So mm-hmm. you know. There's still time to grow there, but I know people in Chicago are panicking. But I think for the Chargers' defense, this is the first time they're, they're going to face kind of a mobile quarterback. And since Deshaun Watson, uh, you didn't really get too much of that with Ryan Tannehill. You got Joe Flacco and Devlin Hodges. So maybe that could hurt them again you know, if he's able to kind of run around the pocket and, and extend some plays, especially with that secondary that's kind of banged up. But for right now, Trubisky is not looking too good, but he could run the ball and it could be a threat there. Yeah, he, from what I understand is the uh, the level of confidence in him is like really low in mm-hmm. all of Chicago, which yep. uh, as as people know is not the uh, most forgiving town when a when a guy things go bad for especially when this team wins twelve games. Like, there was high yeah. expectations in Chicago. Well, was, yeah. the, the defense was outstanding last year. Mm-hmm. So that's that's also you're talking about the best defense in football last year, and they're good. They're good this year. They're, they what I was told by somebody there is that they thought if last week it got so bad on offense that the defense just kind of. I don't say gave up, but they just kind of were like, okay, we can't do any more. And that's why they gave up a bunch of points last week. Which happened in Jacksonville last year when I was so, there. I mean, the, the offense was so inept that, you know, the defense was going out and, and holding teams to 17, 20 points week after week. And eventually it's like, what else can we do? And then you have a, a game like the Jags had in, in Tennessee where they gave up 31 and Derrick Henry ran all over them. Yep. You know, that's, and in fairness also, they lost Akeem Hicks, who is one of the best yeah. defensive tackles mm-hmm. in the game. Speaking of one of the best in the game, Khalil Mack and We've been saying it all week. That guy can single-handedly wreck a game. DJ was doing his X's and O's video showing Denver and Washington trying to block Mac with a tight end. <laughs> and, and, like, no help that's with a tight end. Work. That's not going to work. You, yeah, that's – I mean, gotta that's, have a me, plan that's for the X him. factor. you got to have a plan for him. They ha- I mean, the Chargers haven't been great against elite pass rushers this year. It's just a fact. J.J. Watt, T.J. Watt both had good games against them. Von Miller had a good game against them. And he didn't have any sacks, but he was – you know, I went back and watched the film. He was, he was causing pressure. They've struggled. So – you know, the question is, will Russell Okun coming back help them in trying to defend against Khalil Mack? But the problem is you have a guy in Leonard Floyd on the other side who's talented as well. Mm-hmm. Um, how much is Russell going to play? How much is he capable of playing? What do they do at right tackle when Russell is in the game? Do they move Trent Scott over to the right side? Do they keep Sam Tevy there? Sam Tevy has struggled at times in past protection this year. So has Trent Scott. Um, you know, that's really, that's really the question heading into this game for me is, you know, because if Russell could play the whole game, that's a huge huge plus for the for the Chargers but is he is he physically ready to do that and where is he in terms of his football shape it doesn't sound like it from what Anthony said the other day but we you know who knows I mean Hunter Henry came back and played a ton of snaps his first game of course he he didn't miss as long as Russell's been out but it doesn't sound like uh from what Anthony was saying that they expect Russell to play a ton just to it's kind of like one of these games maybe get him get him in a little bit, get him used to getting hit and stuff again. And and then maybe uh, next week we see him, see him where I imagine that's what they're going to try to do. It could also be some gamesmanship that happens yeah. all the time. Oh, absolutely. The one thing, um, I don't know if you guys have looked this up, Khalil Mack has played the Chargers eight times. Mm-hmm. How many sacks? I looked it up. Well, obviously I wouldn't be saying it, so no, I looked much. it up. <laughs> not much. I'm going to say two. One. Yeah, he really? sacked Philip one time in eight games. I I just looked it up the other day, which I find amazing, isn't yeah. it? But, and and uh. he has wrecked the Chiefs and the Raiders. Philip gets the ball out quickly. He's not a guy that loves to get hit. So yeah. I mean, no one likes to get hit, but some guys are willing to stand in there and take the yeah. shots. And but Philip would much rather just get the ball out quickly. It's also Philip's anticipation, right? It's I mean, ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, at this point, yeah, exactly. So he know he knows when pressure's coming, when he doesn't have enough bodies in there, and he's going to get the ball out quickly. I mean, right now he's twenty six or twenty seventh in the league. He's getting the ball at two point six four seconds, which is really fast. I and mean, part of that is just they they have young guys on the edges. Um, so I would I would expect more of that. But 
But like you said, I mean, it takes one or two plays where he holds the ball a little bit too longer, gets beat on the blind side, doesn't see it, has a misread in the protection. And you're talking about, a, you know, if it's in your own half, sack, fumble, recovery, and that could be the difference in the game. And that, and I don't want to cut you off, Chris, but just uh, so to be clear about that is he does have one sack, but I guarantee you he's affected the game more than just one time. Yeah, <laughs> you know, these, those, those eight games, I'm <laughs> sure. And I'm sure if, if we had Phillip sitting here, he could tell us a bunch of times where he, he did a, have a direct impact on, the, on making a play go bad, even though he didn't generate any stats. So it's just, it, it is interesting how he's got 57 and a half sacks or something in his career. And there's only one, you know, Obviously, playing the Chargers a lot, he's only had he's only gotten Philip one time. So now that we've talked about this, you just watch that first series. What's going to happen? Get two of them. Yeah, <laughs> you know, you know what's going to happen now. Well, I'd be curious. I'd be curious how how fast Philip has gotten the ball out in those games against. Oh, I, I, I bet you it's pretty quick. Yeah, that'd be yeah. my guess. Balance is what Coach Lynn has stressed, and they just need to find balance. You look at the last three games: thirty-five yards rushing, thirty-two yards rushing, thirty-nine yards rushing as a team. They have to find balance running the football and having all these weapons. I think the thing is, when you get Hunter back and you have Keenan and Mike on the outside healthy and you have Austin Eckler and you can line that guy up anywhere, you have a Pro Bowl running back in Melvin Gordon. You have to find ways to be a little bit more balanced. And I think if they can do that and keep the Bears guessing just a little bit, it's going to bode well offensively. Yeah, I think you got to get creative. If you see Melvin Gordon back there, I think everybody knows you're going to hand it off to him and his been resulting in two to three yards. Uh, maybe go back to what you were doing in the first month where you have Austin Eckler there and maybe just give him a couple of screen passes, open up the playbook, and then you bring in Melvin Gordon or try more two running back sets with maybe Melvin Gordon on the outside. Give him some give him some passes. Maybe he gets going that way. But just ha- handing it off to Melvin Gordon is not working right now. you got to figure out other ways. And I know Lynn really wants to establish the run. He's a former running back. But I think maybe going with the pass first and then later opening up the running game might help out in the long run. I felt like they had some success. They went to 11 personnel, I think, every play for their first two drives in an attempt to get smaller bodies on the field, spread it out a little bit, and run the ball. And they had some success. Melvin Gordon had a couple runs, the one where he fumbled early on in the game. He Mm -hmm. had some space. Um, But my whole thing with balance is, like, if it's not working, at what point do you just abandon it? Like, you're wasting snaps by by rushing the ball. If you can't do it, and and you talk about all the playmakers they have, and we've talked about this before in this room, doesn't matter how, if you have the best playmakers in the league. If you can't block, you're not going to be successful as an offense. And at some point, you might have to be like, hey, we can't run it. We just we're just not good enough up front. And so then, how, what's the most efficient way to move the ball? Uh, I'm not saying abandon it because I think Anthony Lynn is right. I don't. I think you know a team that passes in all the time is an eight and eight or nine or seven team. Mm-hmm. You know. You need balance to be that 11-5. Like Trubisky, he, he threw the ball 54 times last week, and, right. and they were really never in that game against the Saints. Yeah, but I mean, they are a more efficient offense when they when they pass the football, primarily because when you get the ball into Austin Eckler's hands in space, the guy's dynamic. I mean, he has carried this offense this season. He's been the guy that showed up Speaking every week. Speaking of that, Jeff, and you were here at the beginning of last year. You guys were here. Austin, from coming in as an undrafted free agent, just the – development, the evolution of Austin Eckler as an NFL football player, even from week one to week eight, I just think it's it's fascinating how good he really is. Uh, Daniel, again, I'm going to reference what DJ said. He said he talked to somebody in the league. He said there's not 10 running backs in the NFL that can do everything that Austin Eckler does. He's, I, I'm not saying he's a top five running back in the league. I'm just saying there's not 10 guys that can do everything that he does. I, ten, I would, are, there, are there five guys that can do what he does as a route runner? I don't think so. Yeah. I mean, here, there's a stat. I'll let you have this, Jeff, but just a stat that I had in my in my Monday rewind on Monday. He's averaging 9.21 yards per target. It's the best among any running back with 30 targets in the season. Ranks 26 among all players with at least 30 targets this season. No other running back ranks in the top 50. So that there, could, you take that wow. stat, you can say he's been the best pass catching running back in the league. You can make a legitimate argument for that. Oh, I, I, absolutely. And he, what we see, and what I, what I like watching Austin is he, he. He was rarely brought down by the first guy, you know. We and he had uh, um, so like pound for pound. That's his he, nickname, pound for pound. He's <laughs> he's quick and he's really strong, as we all know. And he's just he's hard to get down on the ground. So it's fun to watch when he can make make guys miss. And uh, and also even if they can just they get their hands on him, he still sometimes can can run through or run you know break break free. So he he's he's a a blast to watch, and it's incredible to think that he came from Western State and was undrafted and made the team in the last preseason game and all that when he was a when he was a rookie. It's 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 amazing to think what he he's become now, and and he is Daniel's right. He's really carried this offense in, in, in large part. I think also it shows up in pass protection. 
Like he's a guy that can. Yeah. I, when they talk about in the toolbox, exactly. When they talk about can how many guys in the league can do this? Austin is an extremely intelligent football player who understands protections and schemes very, very well. He's a guy that you can. That's why he's in there every single third down. Because if he's not going out for a pass and and for a check down, then he's in there blocking. And he and he's so strong that he can you know take on a linebacker and win that matchup. And the crazy thing, he's he's getting better. He. he 2017 wasn't that long ago, and he was saying he was just a running back, and now he's kind of coming to his receiver who just learned how to do a slant route. Was he the OW, <laughs> right? The offensive weapon. Exactly, mm-hmm. and he was running a five-step slant route in the sidelines. He said yeah, he's just trying to practice. He goes onto the field, perfects it, and he gets a, a big gain on a crucial drive. So just to see where he's come from, Austin Eckler, and just to kind of evolve in, in every type of way and still learn, it's been cool to see. Yeah. You know what was fun to see was just watching Joey Bosa in the second half of that game. <laughs> The, he was unbelievable. The push on Tannehill, the two sacks. <laughs> I mean, he was an animal. And he 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 was the guy who had the fourth down stop on the sneak. Yeah, yeah. He was the guy who stuffed the middle up. I mean, the, the way he's raised his play this season with all the injuries, I think is incredibly impressive. And he deserves a, he deserves a ton of credit. And, you know, looking ahead to the future, this before the season, this is the type of season I was talking about when I said he's probably going to get that contract extension this offseason before he hits his fifth-year option. He's just too invaluable of a player. He plays you know, the most important position on the field besides tackle and, and quarterback. Um, and he's doing it at an incredibly high level and he's defending in the run. He's pressuring the quarterback. He's doing everything they ask of him. He's lining up as Gil was asking earlier today in a press conference. He's lining up, standing up. Uh, he's filling all these different roles. And at this point, you just have to open up the checkbook for him because that, you can't, it's, he's, he's not the type of player that you can let walk. That was just so weird to see him as a standing pass rusher, this giant going yeah. up the middle, just bulldozing yeah. the, the old line and getting to Tannehill for 11-yard loss. That, that was just crazy. That's a great question. Big it was dude, great yeah. to have Gus kind of break it down a little bit. Yeah, yeah and it, it was uh, Mike DJ who kind of po- pointed at me, like, look look at uh, Joey Bosa. Is that Derwin James out there? He just kind of yeah. come in and just bull, dush, bull rush <laughs> the whole line there? And I was like, whoa, that, that's crazy. It was like this giant here. But, yeah, it, it's, you, and the crazy part that Bradley said that was unique. He doesn't really do stuff like that. So, it, like Austin Eckler, he's learning and getting better, and that's kind of scary for the rest of the league. But the weird thing about Joey Bosa, people are not talking about him as much, maybe for even defensive player of the year. I know they've been struggling for the charges, but it seems like Nick Bosa with the Niners is getting more more talk than Joey, and Joey's been you know, just as great or even better. Yeah, so the, the, they did that with Mel Ingram, though. That's like in those pass rushing packages early on in the season, like that's they like putting Mel Ingram standing up, but that fits his skill set a little bit better. Joey's a bigger dude. Than, than Ingram is taller and doesn't you know move maybe as well as Mel Ingram does, but like they put him in that position, which Gus said today was basically identical to what what Ingram is doing over the season, and goes and gets a sack. Right, as we'll close it this way, Soldier Field, as we always do, a player to watch, Jeff Miller. You start. Wow, you see the first when you do that. I don't even who did I say last? I, I just went like this. I went like. Uh, <laughs> I forget who I said last week. All right, player to watch. I think I said Keenan. I I said Keenan. I think I said Mike Williams. He had a pretty outstanding catch. He did on that sideline. Yeah. That was and, and then Philip has Big Ben and Eli with that catch. Yeah. Those 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 toe tap catches in that drive, oh, yeah. two by Keenan and one by Mike Williams were incredible. The Mike Williams one, I could, I don't know how he did that. It looked like he was way out of bounds, yeah. and, the, and I thought there's no way that was a catch. And then they get on replay. Yeah. All right. So speaking thought, of which, though, like how hard is that to call on the field to give the referees a break for once? Like how <laughs> yeah, hard? hard? Like that is impossible no. to do. Yeah. It is. Uh, I am going to go. I'm going to go with Melvin Gordon. Took mine. I, oh, see, <laughs> I just he's going to break out one of these games. I've, I'm sure of it. And I thought the other day, your Daniel mentioned it. He did. A, there were a couple of plays early where he actually I, I had a little space. Did and it's like okay, this could be when we're going to see it. And uh, he talked about last week how he's starting to. He went into that game feeling a little more like himself. So I think he's he's going to continue to feel good, and he's obviously going to be highly motivated to. Eliminate, you know, erase what happened last week. So I'm going to go with with Melvin, and I think he's he's going to have. Uh, I, I think he's going to have his best game he's had in a while. All right, uh, I'll you want go me with, to go, or you got one? I got one. Okay. I'll, I'll go with the rookie uh, Jerry Tillery. I don't know if Justin Jones is going to come back or Brandon Ebane, but you're already at the halfway point. People say about that that rookie wall. Hopefully, for Jerry Tillery, is the opposite where he kind of you know you know flourishes a little bit the second half of the season. Uh, Gus Bradley kept saying the word strain. I'm glad that Jeff asked about what do you mean with the strain. I, I had no idea what, what that meant. But at least Gus likes what he's doing. And hopefully, I'm explain the strain. Say, explain the strain. Where you're kind of holding two guys and you're standing up and it's you just don't playing fall. hard. Yeah, you don't. It's just fall. playing hard. It's yeah. showing effort. That's basically what yeah, it is. It's basically it's like taking not, out a double team and not getting your fanny right. kicked, which, yeah. which is important. Like, you oh, know, that's, great at that. That's he's just a job. big dude. And if you double team him, he's just going to clog the hole. And and you know, if a nose tackle gets moved off, then I can screw up your. 
Tyrone. That is Runner. the definition of that job, <laughs> and there's no stats for that. But for just so. you know, Jerry Tiller, you keep standing up, but now make a play, make a move to get to the quarterback, and maybe get a couple of sacks. So I, I think he's close. He's getting there. But for Jerry Tiller, especially if that 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 middle part is still banged up with me being and Justin Jones. Get a couple of sacks, especially with your defense in the back, kind of you know hurting a little bit. Help them out a little bit and see what you got as a first round pick. Like it, Russell Okun. Yeah. And even if he doesn't play the whole game, just what having that type of leader back on the offensive line, back protecting Phillips' blind side, what that will do for the rest of the unit. You know, so much of great offensive line pay, play is chemistry. And while they had Mike Pouncey in there before he got hurt, missing Russell. I think has been enormous. Just having a guy to look to as yeah. well, you know, just yeah. communication and just having a guy that you know we got a pro bowler at left tackle now, and like what that does for the rest of the guys' confidence. I think we talk about how important it is to establish the run. That is it has to be the priority for this offense, and I think Russell Okung coming back could be the key to establishing the run. I'm going to go with the other Melvin, and this is if he plays Melvin yeah. Ingram, and I think this team. We talk about Derwin and the energy there he brings. Melvin Ingram brings that same type of nastiness and energy, especially He's on the rope, today. the ASAP mentality, <laughs> any squad, any place. I think the defense needs an edge going into Chicago. They need to take advantage of a struggling offense, maybe get some sacks on Trubisky, force a turnover. And if you could put 54 across from 97 – on the line and, and make some plays disrupt that Chicago offense, you know, maybe it's a start of something. So and it's a great point because it, it does open up things for Joey. Like when, when Melvin Ingram is out there, especially on those pass rushing downs, when they have him moving around and jumping between the guards and no one knows where he's actually going to rush from. Like all of a sudden, Joey Bosa, instead of getting double teamed on every single pass rushing situation, might get a one-on-one. And that's what Gus was talking about today. It's all about They're getting, trying to find matchups for him. Get mm-hmm. those guys one-on-one. It's, it's really what football comes down to. It's, it's exactly what they're doing on offense. Get Austin Eckler one on one with a linebacker and let him work, and that's how they ended up scoring two touchdowns at the end of the game. That's ultimately what football comes down to, and I think that if Ingram comes back, you could have a situation where Joey Bosa has a few more one on ones and maybe can start padding those stats. You know, while he, ha- he hasn't really done that so far this season. Food wrecks. Jeff Miller. <laughs> Food. Food. Chicago? Chicago. I'm getting Chicago pizza. Well, man. The, yeah, Giordano's. Pizza's Giordano's. The, the big thing, right? Yeah. Um, yeah so I uh, get one of those pizzas that weighs like a manhole cover, right? <laughs> <laughs> order, like, I just want to go on record. Uh, Chicago pizza is not technically pizza. It is actually a pizza casserole. To get real pizza, you have to go to New York City. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And also, just completely unrelated. You also have to wait for minutes. Can we get Eric minutes. Williams on here next time? He big times us every single time. He won't come to the round table. Eric's, it's the, Eric's all the big times. It's the beat writers round table minus Eric Williams, who I guess is a little. More, more famous than us, like he's too. Uh, he's too important. What's evidently? Deal? Eric, yeah, I guess that's where Eric, I'm going. Join the roundtable. We'll get an extra chair in here for you. <laughs> Anything else, Daniel? You no, got to fire it up there. Right, huh? Yeah, I think that's it. All I think right. those are all the takes Just I have. The, for all today. it took was the mere mention of food, and Daniel got <laughs> really fired up. He got fired up, and then threw Eric into the mix. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. well, I mean, <laughs> by I'm, the way, I'm a. I'm a and another fan. thing, <laughs> yeah, I think that's all I have for now. Yeah, I'll see if I can upset any more people. I'll come back with some better takes next week. That's fun. I think this is going to be a weekly fix. We're getting the sponsor. Sponsor, right. Beat Riders Roundtable. Thanks, guys. Yep. All right, guys, that's going to do it for us. A big thanks to our Beat Riders, plus Daniel Jeremiah and Rich Campbell for joining me. And, of course, thanks to you all for listening. Remember, be sure to subscribe to the all-new Chargers Podcast Network wherever you listen to podcasts. We are now on Spotify and SoundCloud. So anywhere you get your podcasts, the Chargers Podcast Network is there. Thanks so much for listening. Enjoy the game on Sunday. And until next time, I'm Chris Harry.